Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. Okay, we are in a, in a series, and this is the third in our series, and it's called Coming Soon. Coming Soon has to do with the end times. I'm sure you put that together. You've already had a couple of sessions, and it's got to do with that aspect of biblical doctrine called eschatology. Eschatology. Do you want me to spell it? No, don't ask me to spell it. Eschatology. And I'm already off my notes. Sorry. But you've got, you know, you'll just work it out as you go along. Well, we'll have to leave the notes. We ain't got enough time. But eschatology, it brings back memories of many, many years ago when Janet and I were in Bible college back in the UK. And, you know, one of the subjects that we had to, or had to study was eschatology. Eschatology. Never heard of the word. I thought it was a disease eschatology, it has to do with the end times. And there I sat, and by the way, I'm probably not very qualified to talk on such a deep subject because, you know, I studied it at college. I actually did very well in eschatology. But when it came to the end of our time and we were going into the ministry and before we went into our first church proper uh, with that movement, we had to sit before the 12 apostles, the 12 leaders of the movement, back in, in, and had these endless interviews sitting there, and they interviewed me about doctrine, and they felt that my doctrine wasn't really up to scratch. So, for my trouble, I got another two years of study on, you guess what, eschatology. So, after four years of studying eschatology, I came to this conclusion. I don't know very much. I still don't know very much. And you know, we could get into, we won't get into all the different views, you know, whether you're a pre-millennialist, whether you're a post-millennialist, whether you're an amillennialist, whether you're a, a, a rapture person, a pre-rapture, a mid-rapture, or no rapture. Those are the things that we, we learned in college. And I tell you, it brought back some really bad memories. I came to this conclusion after studying all that time. Number one, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Number two, He came down to earth as a man and He lived here for 30 odd years. Number three, He did die and He did rise from the dead on the third day. Amen. Number four, He's alive here this morning. Hallelujah. Number five, without a shadow of doubt, he's coming back one day. Number six, he's coming back for his church. And if you know Jesus, you're part of his church. Amen. Hallelujah. So if you know the Lord, we're going to heaven. That's my subject. So here endeth the lesson. Let's go home. Heaven. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Before we get there. As we're, and as we're studying and preparing for this and just reading, you know, over the month because it is this subject, there is one song in the back of my mind which uh, I can't get out of my head. And some of you old rockers will know about it. It's a song by Larry Norman. Janet and I used to sing, sing this song years ago. And um, we, all, we thought about should we come and do a duet up here? And then uh, we discovered how old we were. 
You know what I mean? You know, the, 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 uh, the, uh, when you try and get the arthritic fingers to play the guitar on the frozen shoulder that doesn't quite work right, and we thought, oh, God help these people. They'll be praying for the rapture. So, uh, it didn't, oh, talking about old age, as I was preparing this message yesterday down at Jamaica Blue in the coffee shop, you know, and I had my, had my iPad out and my phone out and my 15-inch laptop because I can't afford a 13-inch laptop. So, it's all there in front of me, and they came to serve me the coffee, and the lady said to me, you're always working here. And I says, yes, yes, I am. But if she'd have looked at the iPad, she would have seen its you know, images on retirement villages and what to do when you're at pen <laughs> Not really. And anyhow, okay, I'm losing time. Okay, I'm looking at the clock. One other thing they did tell me at college was, oh, by the way, did you know that when I was at Bible college, they tried to teach me how to speak English? They sent me to elocution letters. Well, they sent me for those things to try and teach me how, how can you teach an Irishman how to talk English? Anyhow, I endured it. I did, what was this talking about? Oh, yeah, we're getting to heaven. One day we're going to go to heaven. Yeah, this song, that's right. It's called, I Wish We'd All Been Ready. 60s song, Larry Norman, who was one of the original people that introduced Christian rock to, to the church way back in the 60s. One of his songs was, why does the devil have all the good music? Does anybody remember that stuff? Oh, there's a few old people here. Some of you young people have no idea what I'm talking about. Anyhow, one of the songs which isn't so rocky, but it's just and it's still in my head. I wish we'd all been ready, and we're not going to sing it but we're going to play it right now. We'll let Larry Norman sing it. He wrote it, so listen to the words of this song. It will bring back some memories for some of you old rockers. Standing still, I wish we'd all been 
Shock tactics, eh? Some of you have been watching that clip and you've been work, working out which movies they were plagiarized the video clips to put it together. But, um, you know, I grew up in an era in the church when we spoke a lot about the uh, coming back of the Lord. And again, at Bible college, oh, coming back to Bible college again, where's, where's young Michael? Michael Wanty, where are you? Oh, chief chairbreaker in the room. Man alive. Do you know one of the things about growing up with that stuff, and by the way, it's good. One of the things about growing up with that stuff and believing that stuff was the fear that the Lord would come back before you get married. So, prophetic message for you. <laughs> and that, that's true. I can remember, you know, when we were studying this stuff at college and we had young, young people there. Fortunately, I did the right thing. I was married and I had two kids. So, we were, we were okay. We've done the married thing and we've done the kids things and we were set up. And so we were, we were living in, on college in a caravan, great, great stuff. But anyway, the people out there that were single and then people that, you know, that had felt the call of God to come to Bible college and now they hear this stuff that God could come back, the Lord could come back at any time. 
And I can genuinely remember people being disturbed that God will come back before they get a chance to go and preach or to start a church or become a pastor. (laughs) And it sort of sounds funny now, but the reality is the Bible has a lot to say about being ready for Jesus coming back. Amen? It really does. The early church actually lived with an expectation that Christ could come back at any time. They would say it's the last hour. Uh, 1 John 2 verse 18, I'm on slide 2. There's 30 to go. Wow, okay. We will get there. So, and from the time of Christ throughout the church age, 2,000 years, Christians have been living with this anticipation, this expectation that Jesus could come at any moment. In the age in which they lived, they see the signs and the evidence which pointed to Christ coming soon. And it's a healthy way to live. It's a way that Jesus actually wants us to live. And I want to encourage you this morning, live your life anticipating Jesus to come Whether He comes in your lifetime or not, we are to live ready and expectant for Jesus to return. Jesus said that, Matthew 25, 1 to 13 if you want it, 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. So there we go. We need to live that way. Okay, we need to get into this, don't we? Scott, by the way, up in Ellenbrook, Pastor Scott, he introduced subjects with the tent. He spoke on the tent. Anybody up there to hear Pastor Scott, no, man, you need to get it on podcast. Really, really good. Tried to put this tent up on stage, but it kept falling apart to illustrate his his point. Anyway, he spoke on the tent. A tent is a temporary place. The body in which you live in, the Bible says, it's like a tent. It's a temporary dwelling place before eternity. But we tend to get caught up with the tent. It's all about the tent. And we forget eternity. Yet there's so much more than the tent. There's so much more than the tent. You need to get a message and, and, um, and listen to it for yourself. And then Pastor Joss last week, he had a real hot subject last week, didn't he? He was speaking on hell. Real hot subject. Some of you don't get my sense of humor, do you? <laughs> it's sarky. Get on with it and start preaching. But today I've got the better subject. It's heaven. So we're going to talk about heaven, okay? And I have no idea where we're going to start, where we're going to finish on this, but we'll, we'll start somewhere. Most people today have a come, have an expectation that heaven is out there. As Christians, we know it. Colossians 1 verse 5 says, saying, a confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. That's talking about the gospel. But there are other people that don't have that. Say, most people do have an expectation of heaven. There are some people that don't. You've got agnostics. An agnostic is someone who doesn't know whether there's a God and there's a Jesus Christ or not. So they just don't know. And then you've got the atheist. The atheist is a person who will say, there is no God. Jesus, if he did live, he was just a good man, and that's it. And he did not rise from the dead because there is nothing after dead. There's just nothing. We die, and that's that. And I want to say, if you're an atheist here this morning, that's one miserable way to live. Because it's a meaningless, purposeful, purposeless life. There's nothing here to live for if you're just living, and then there's nothing. So that's the role of the atheist. But we need to get back to heaven. Heaven, there's got to be something more 
than the pain and the suffering of this life, something more than 70 or 80 years living down here on earth, something more than being born, dying, and then going up and smoke at the creme or being put in a plot of ground somewhere. There is something planted within the human heart that says that we were made for something beyond this life. And we've all got that plant. You can suppress it, but it's there. It's the way God made us. We were made to live forever somewhere. But you need to know where that somewhere is. It would help to know for sure what was happening on the other side. Because if you're wrong about your theory about the afterlife, you're going to be wrong for a very, very long time. But we've got this hope, this confident expectation of heaven, and we have that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the heart of the gospel. It's the good news that we would be, that we can be saved from being condemned to a, an eternity in hell. Because why? Because Jesus took our sin. He nailed it to the cross. He died for me, and He rose again on the third day to set me free. Hallelujah. And because He lives, the Scripture says, we will live also. We have eternal life because of our hope in Jesus Christ, our confidence, our faith in Jesus Christ. But to deny that there is no resurrection, and believe it or not, there are some facets of Christianity would even today deny there is such a thing as a resurrection and that Christ did not really rise from the dead. They're not really true Christians. Paul's speaking about such a people, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is, listen, useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. Verse 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Wow. But Jesus is alive. Amen? Jesus is alive, and we've got heaven to look forward to. So before we get into heaven, we need to look at what heaven is not like. And we probably know this, but let's get into it because there's lots of stuff out there. Heaven is not, eternity is not a timeless, blissful vision or an endless choir practice in the skies. It's not a place where you're sitting there with your little white fluffy wings flapping in there with your little harp sitting on a fluffy cloud. That's not heaven. Eternity is not, it's not really merely just a family reunion where the circle will be unbroken one day. It's also not a place where, you know, people are trapped somewhere between heaven and this life and we have to work hard to get them out of that place. That's not heaven at all. I'm sorry to say this, but your pet pooch is not in heaven. Might not like that. Neither is little Goldie the goldfish. We get so emotionally attached to our pets, don't we? I am convinced, I am convinced pets have better health insurance than humans. Vet on the hill. We get so attached to them, we can't bear the thought of not seeing little Georgie up in heaven. And so we have people that conduct funeral services for that dead cat. Half of them are feral. 
Oh, some of you don't like that. Okay, let, 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 let's, let's help you with this. Oh, I like that one with the pigs. Let's help you a little bit. What? What about cockroaches? Can you envisage heaven being filled with cockroaches? But it's also part of the animal kingdom, so, you know, why not have a little cockroach up there with his little black winds flacking away, playing its little harp? No, 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 no. Heaven is somewhat different. So let's get into it. Um, I'm moving on a bit. Where is heaven? Let's address some questions and we'll wrap it up. Where is heaven? Well, heaven is a real place. John 14, verses 1 to 3, it says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. It says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Heaven is a real place. That's Jesus' words. He said that. See Revelations 21 and 22. We haven't time to get into it all. Um, heaven is where God lives. Psalm 33 verse 13 says that. That's where His throne is. That's where the angels are. That's where Jesus is. Philippians 3.20 says, But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So heaven is a real place. It's where Jesus is right now. It's where Father God is right now, and it's not very far away from us. Uh, number two, what is heaven like? What is heaven like? Well, as mentioned, it's the dwelling place of God. That's where, that's where God lives. And God is good, yes? God is good. God is love, yep. So to be in heaven then is to experience good because there's no evil there. There's no pain there. There's no suffering there. And to be in heaven is to experience love. Why? Because there is no hate there. There's no separation there. There's no abandonment there. For our loving Father is there. There's no fear there because Almighty God is there. Amen? God is there. And what's heaven like? Well, it's the Father's house. We've touched on it already, John 14, verse 2. Um, it's a city designed and built by God, Hebrews 11, verse 10. It's a better place than this place, hallelujah. It's a heavenly homeland, 11, Hebrews 11, verse 16. It's paradise, Luke 23, 43. It's the Garden of Eden before uh, Adam and Eve had that fall so long ago. But heaven is way beyond anything that we could imagine. Okay, you ready for the third one? One is. Okay, for that one person. Who is in heaven right now? Okay, God is in heaven because it's His dwelling place. Jesus is there. He's been there since He ascended from earth shortly after His resurrection. Read Acts chapter 1 verses 9 to 11. There's angels in heaven. And here's the bit I want to get to. Every true believer that has died, they are in heaven as we speak this morning. The moment a Christian dies, he or she goes directly into the presence of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, uh, 21 to 23. He or she will immediately experience conscious enjoyment of Christ's 
presence. We don't believe in soul sleep. 2 Corinthians 5, 78, Philippians 1, 21 to 23, if you're looking for references. And I also believe that children who have died before the age of having an understanding between right and wrong, I believe they go to heaven too because they have not been in a position to choose and to make that decision for, for themselves. And possibly people who have mental, a mental limitation that causes them not to understand the good news gospel message. That's my belief. Some of you may differ on that. But the unsaved, I'm using the word unsaved, the unsaved won't make it to heaven. The Bible speaks of the saved and the lost. The saved are those people who trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. The lost are those who do not trust Jesus Christ and reject Jesus Christ as the Savior. And that is the great dividing line uh, in humanity. You're either saved or you're lost. You will either spend eternity in heaven or you'll either spend eternity in hell. You will spend it somewhere. So positively, the saved, those that have followed Christ of all ages will be in heaven. And heaven will be more wonderful than we could ever imagine and the population more diverse than we could ever comprehend. But no one will go to heaven except by the grace of God and through what Jesus Christ has done for them through His death and resurrection. If a man says no to Jesus, there is no hope of heaven. That's the serious stuff of this subject. Okay, next question. Will we know each other in heaven? Well, we will know each other. Someone said we shall know less. We shall not know less in heaven than we know here. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12 says, In heaven we'll know each other as God knows us. Why? Because all the imperfections of this life, they will be removed. In this life, sin causes all sorts of problems for ourselves. We cover ourselves. We cover ourselves emotionally. We build a cage around ourselves. We cover ourselves spiritually. But when sin is finally lifted from us, then we can see ourselves with no shame, no pain, no embarrassment, no covering up. We will know every person in heaven, and all of them will be friends and loved ones to us. And you will have your personality in heaven as well, but your personality will not be flawed through the imperfections of sin. The essence of who you really are, that will remain with you throughout eternity, yet it will be vastly improved because of God's grace. I'm looking forward to that. So's my wife, by the way. She wants an improved model. And you won't grow old. Hallelujah! Growing old is a function of a, the decaying effects of sin, but it won't be there in heaven. And as we said, in heaven we will know each other personally. We will truly know each other, and there won't be any strangers or any loneliness in heaven. Okay, next question. What will we do in heaven? What will we do? Well, heaven will not be boring. It won't be boring. It will be more fun than you can imagine. There'll be more joy than you can imagine that you'd ever experienced here on earth. And well, there will be some stuff for us to do in eternity. We're actually going to help God run the universe. 
Luke 19, verse 11 to 27. So we will use our gifts and our abilities to rule over and administer the new heavens and the new earth. So no one's going to be sitting around on a cloud eating grapes and polishing their halo. Not going to happen. Five things, if you're taking notes, five things that will occupy you in heaven. We will, number one, worship without distraction. <laughs> Serve, but without exhaustion. Have fellowship, but there'll be no fear. We will learn, but we'll never get fatigued. We will rest, but it won't be with boredom. Wow. Heaven and eternity will mean civilization. It will mean architecture. It will mean feasting with our Lord and Savior. It will mean ruling. It will mean work. In short, heaven will be eternal life. Eternal life. And the best part of heaven is going to be seeing Jesus himself face to face. Amen? We're going to worship him and we're going to see him. And I tell you, that's something to look forward to. Amen. I'm going to see Jesus face to face. I only know him imperfectly here. It's through a glass. Discerning, you know, I don't quite make him out, but when I see him, when he comes, I will see him face to face. And when I see him, I'm not going to cringe because I'm such an awful, wretched person and I've still got all this stuff hanging on me. No, no, no. I'm going to be changed. Amen. And I'm going to be like him. And I'm going to see him and I'm going to worship Him, and I'm going to praise Him, and I'm going to serve Him, and it's going to be absolutely wonderful. Amen? Something to get excited about. Two more important questions that we need to cover before we finish here this morning. What will it be like at the end, the end of the world? Consummation of all things expression they use. Well, Revelations 21 verse 5 says, Behold, I make all things new. I make all things new. Paradise lost, that in Genesis, becomes paradise regained in Revelation. And between those two books, we've got the fascinating story of God's love and His plan to save us through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. And the Bible speaks of a new heavens and a new earth, 2 Peter 3.13, Revelations 21.1, Romans 8.21-23. Complete destruction of all links with the old and sinful world and the transformation of the old into a new world, never to know sin and corruption. Amen. And heavens here in these verses, it's talking about the universe. So the universe will be transformed. It will be perfected fit surroundings for God's presence with His resurrected people. Hallelujah. And the state of those that have died, some of you will have this question, some of data, this, the state of those that have died before this new heavens and new earth, well, the dead, rebellious, unsaved of all ages, they await the final judgment at the end of the world in Hades. We probably touched on that in earlier weeks. But believers, followers of Jesus who have died, they await the second coming of Christ in paradise where they experience this conscious enjoyment of His presence. Some realities of this new world. The overwhelming reality will be God Himself. 
I heard a loud voice speaking from the throne. Now God's home is with His people. He will live with them and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them and He will be their God. Our entry into God's new world marks the end of everything that limits us or harms us as we live life here now. An end of evil. The evil in me and the evil surrounds me. It'll be gone. Revelations 20.10, the devil will be thrown into eternal lake of fire. Revelations 21.27, and nothing that is impure will enter that new city. 21 verse 4, suffering death will be ended. God will wipe away all tears. No more death, no more grief, no more crying, no more pain. The old is gone. There will be an end of insecurity. Here we face dangers, uncertainties, and fears, but not there. The new world, the new heavens and new earth, that will be gone. And we'll have arrived at a city whose foundations, the city with permanent foundations, Hebrews 11 verse 10. Let me read 2 Peter 3, verses 3 to 15, because this is an important passage, and I want to read it and probably not comment on it, but just let it speak for itself. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? For from before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens by the word of His command and brought the earth out of the water and surrounded it with water. Then He used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They will be kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really been slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He has been patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to perish, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will melt with fervent heat, and the earth and everything on of it will be burned up. Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, what holy and godly lives should you live looking forward to the day of God and hurrying it along? On that day, He will set the heavens on fire, and the elements will melt away in flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens A new earth He has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in His sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to repent. Amen. Don't really have to comment on that. God has made it easy for you and I to go to heaven. He did the hard part, dying for us. Our part is to respond. There is no other way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other way. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved. 
We need to believe and trust Him. So are you certain you're going to heaven this morning? Hope so. It's not good enough. Think so. Not good enough. Because if you're wrong, you're going to be wrong for a long, long time. Jesus is your only hope. Believe on Him. Trust Him. Give your life to Jesus today. Time is almost finished. And I just want to say when it hits 11.30, you're free to go. You can walk out through those doors. But I, I do want to give people an opportunity to respond. But I do want to share this story. I felt that I should uh, this morning. It's concerning my mom, and some of you would have heard a bit of my testimony about my mom. But I don't want to leave it with you. It's in October 2016, Janet and I made our way back to Ireland to visit family, but particularly to see mom. Mom had dedicated her life to Jesus and had proved the Lord faithfully over a lifetime. And it is an incredible story how God took the adverse circumstances of her life and used them for his greater purpose. Mom was in a high care age care facility when we went to see her. Because you would not want to finish your days here on earth. You see, mom suffered a stroke some time ago. As a result, she was diagnosed with vascular dementia. A blood clot had prevented the blood supply to the part of the brain causing it to die. The affected part of the brain had to do with memory and recognition. So mum was left very con in a very confused state with her short-term memory shot to bits and other memories confused. She was no longer able to perform the simple tasks like making a cup of tea, turning on the TV, making a phone call. She did not recognize many familiar objects in her room. Added to that, her legs were severely swollen and her feet were in a bad way due to bad blood circulation. We'd seen mom three years earlier. There's nothing wrong with her mind then. But now, this time, mom did not recognize Janet or me on our first visit. Sometimes she did on subsequent visits. She was so frail and could hardly walk. She remained in her room, sitting on a chair day in, day out. Can't put the TV on, can't read, can't listen to the radio. Just sitting there, never going to bed, just sitting in the armchair. On some visits she was very distressed. Just wanted to go home but did not know where home was. Some visits she recognized me. Another occasion she thought I was older than her as I took her down memories of a bygone age in a bid to stimulate her memory, sometimes with a little success. But the time came for our last goodbye before we went down to Dublin and got on the plane and flew back to Oz. We knew that she would probably forget us five minutes after we had left. 
But there we were, we found her sitting on the side of the bed and her back to us deeply distressed. She was looking into the wall trying to make an imaginary phone call to my brother, requesting him to get her out of the place. My brother was with us. He made his way and talked to her about the activities of his day, ignoring her distress and her requests. It was a distracting mechanism, knowing that if he could get her mind off whatever was distressing her, she would forget it, and then she'd settle down. And he got her up off the bed and gradually led her slowly to the chair and got her to sit down in her armchair. And he began to tell her the story of why she was in this place and why she can't leave it. The stroke, the admittance to hospital, the diagnosis, the observation, and eventually ending up in this permanent aged care facility. Not a pleasant story. Mum remembered none of it, but she began to feel for my elder brother, who must be having such a hard time looking after her, which was true. It was a negative conversation. So in a bit to change the tone, I started to talk about what Paul says in Philippians 3. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, heaven. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Forget those things that are behind, looking forward. Janet suggested that I look the passage up in Mum's Bible that was sitting on the table. I opened the Bible and flicked it open at the first chapter and, and noticed that Mum had underlined many passages. I started at the first one, verse 6 of chapter 1, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I only got down to verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Mom sparked into life. She remembered the verse. And she remembered it as a Christian song. And so we began to sing and we, we didn't know the words, so we looked it up on the iPhone. You see, I was trying to get through to my mom on this last visit at a spiritual level. I knew it was our last visit. I knew we'd never see her again this side of life. And I wanted to leave something positive with her. So I talked about living for Jesus and how much better it is when we die because we know that we will be at home with the Lord in heaven as Jesus promised. I got back into reading some of our scriptures, Philippians 3, looking forward to the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We got ready to leave and I asked mom, could we pray with her and asked us, do you want anything to to pray about in particular. She said, just pray as the Lord leads. Typical response of my mom. I started to pray around Philippians 1.21 with difficulty for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I finished and all went quiet and we looked at mom. Her head was slumped on her shoulders and her eyes were closed. I wondered if she was dead. 
She was asleep. She spoke without moving her head or opening her eyes. She says, I hope you have not gone to sleep on me. And then after a pause with eyes still closed, she began to quote slowly and deliberately. For me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. And all went quiet. Mum was content. Something had happened in that moment. We said our goodnights. We embraced. We kissed. Good night and God bless. And left the room. That was the last goodbye. I knew I'd not see Mum again. The side of life. We returned to Australia, and a few months later, Mum went home to be with Jesus. She is in heaven now. She is in heaven now. What about you this morning? Young people, young people, we're finishing now, probably for the sixth time. Young people, anybody under the age of 50, young people. For me to live is Christ. Who are you living for this morning? I'm addressing young people because I'm an old fella. Who are you living for this morning? I've got a word for all you young people, everybody under 50. Use whatever you've got to serve Jesus now. Because you can only do that and you can only give that offering in this lifetime. Not in the next. So use whatever you've got, your gifts, your talent, your education. Use whatever you've got and put it on the line for Jesus and say, yes, I will serve you. For me to live is Christ. And when I die, that will be gain. That will be for profit. That will be so much better because that will be heaven. But in the meantime, I'm going to live for Jesus Christ. Have you got that? If ever that was a word for people under the age of 50, and I know it's us oldies as well, live for Jesus Christ now. There may come a day when you'll be popping pills and you'll be walking on a Zimmer flame. There may come a day when you'll be half deaf like me still trying to sing. Use what you've got now for the kingdom and don't waste it on this tent. Please take that as a prophetic word 
for your life. And it doesn't matter what you've done and what sort of shape you're in. And some people won't like this. Put it before your five-year plans and your ten-year plans and your mortgage that you're going to have and the things that you're going to get in order and in place before you start serving Jesus. No, serve Jesus now. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.